possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place. Welcome to the Palace Theater's Broadway Buzz, presented by Webster Bank. The Palace Theater is located in Waterbury, Connecticut. My name is Stuart Brown, founder of the 24-7 online Broadway radio station, soundsofbroadway.com. If you are looking for nonstop Broadway music, tune into soundsofbroadway.com, playing the best from off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage. I'll be your host for this podcast series, and I am very happy to welcome back again Frank Tavera, the CEO of the Palace Theater. Welcome to the program again, Frank. It's great to be back, Stu. Thank you for um, taking the torch on this. It's, um, it's, we're doing some great work here. I have to give you so much credit, but it's a pleasure to be back. I will take all the credit. Uh, <laughs> good, good, good. We were saying before we started to roll the tape that we spoke on the inaugural program, and that was five over five months ago. It just seems like yesterday. As we all know, a lot has changed in the world since then. So I wanted to start off the show with, can you give us an update? Again, we spoke, I think, the first week of December 2020. It wasn't even mm-hmm. 2021 yet. So much has happened in Connecticut, vaccines, you're on. Absolutely. I mean, so much has changed since December. I mean, we knew very little back in December, and I think we were incredibly optimistic that we would be have something exciting to say come the spring. And I am happy to say, very proud to say, and a little relieved, quite honestly, to say that it looks as if we're going to be reopening our doors in the fall in earnest. And that has a lot to do with what you had just mentioned. So much has changed. The vaccines have been rolling out. People are responding to getting the vaccine. We're not hitting herd immunity, uh, but that is forthcoming. So with that, the governor has released restrictions, giving us a light at the end of the tunnel, which is very exciting, which only allows us to, quite honestly, to plan. Right now, regardless of what is being said, opening our doors, again, May 20th, we still have to plan for what is to come because it isn't just we aren't ready to perform um, you know, the day after. But a lot has changed. It gives us the optimism and we can now communicate with our patrons about the exciting things that are forthcoming and we may be back to normal come fall of 2021. And that's what I really wanted to talk about is that what you hear in the news the governor proclaiming this, really all the states and even New York, New York City, I think July 19th, lifting all restrictions and all these news headlines, Broadway's reopening. We all know Broadway is not reopening because everyone has to come up with that re-entry plan. So even in Connecticut, where as of May 19th, no restrictions, but like you're saying, all that does is allow the Palace Theater to really go into maybe the next phase of planning. Absolutely, because over the last, what has now been 16 months since we've um, closed our doors in March of 2020, you know, all we have done is reschedule, right? We have moved our dates, and I jokingly said, perhaps even last time, we've, we've been moving the deck chairs on the, the Titanic because it was basically, when are we going to reopen? And at first it was, you know, six months. If it was going to be a year, now we're going to be looking at close to 18 months. But now with confidence, and with confidence with our agents that we're working with in New York as well, we can actively look at the fall. They are putting together their tours. They're putting together their plan to reopen and reopen in earnest. So there's a, a, a big weight that has been lifted from our end of it to know that in confident, confidently, we can announce a season. We can feel comfortable about the titles and that they will in fact show up 
again, barring any out of scene circumstances, but we are ready to go. And as I recall, if I'm not mistaken, one of your recent Broadway Buzz podcasts was with Kent McInvale from the um, booking, uh, Broadway Booking Office. And he was talking about the issues of mounting a show and the time it takes to bring a route a show across the country. Those are all things that we cut, we deal with on a day-to-day basis, but we're feeling more confident that we will be able to pull the trigger, announce a show and put a show on come fall of 2021. Let me quickly just mention what is coming on and mm-hmm. we'll talk about that now. If we don't really get to talk about it on this episode, we'll have you on for our next episode. Perfect. Maybe we'll just have you on for every episode. Frank. <laughs> so right now your season begins the very beginning of October with a Bronx tale, October mm-hmm. one and two, mm-hmm. then Anastasia, the 19th to 21st of October. And I think many people that are listening to the Broadway buzz know that Anastasia was birthed in Connecticut at Hartford stage. Then one of my personal favorites, beautiful, the Carol King musical, November 19th through 20th. And then one of my, I'm going to put it in my top 10 of all time, an American. Surprises me, but good for you. (laughs) I I, I don't know if I mentioned this in the last podcast, that last, I think, was it 12 minutes uh, dance sequence? I was almost crying. It was just so incredible. Uh, but that is the new year in 2022, January 28 through 29. Then for all those disco fans, we have the Donna Summer musical in February 11 and 12. Then Waitress, which is a real crowd pleaser, mm-hmm. April 22 through 23. And maybe at that point, you'll be allowed to serve pies in the theater. And then you end up with the band's visit, May 17th through 19th. And the band's visit won huge number of Tony Awards. And it is, it's a different musical, but we can talk about that later on. So mm-hmm. a really good schedule, a lot of good names. To me, there's really, there's not any filler. These are all shows that I think anyone interested in the musical theater would want to go see. I agree. There's something for everybody on this season. And I think as we talked about it um, back in December as well, I mean, this season is chocked full. There is a lot of programming that is there. And this is um, on the upcoming for the upcoming year of 21-22. And a lot of that really has to do with the fact that we've been sitting vacant. These productions have, have all been sitting dormant for over 18 months. And this is really going to be that kind of gap year or that filler year of making sure that titles that were promised back almost two years ago can in fact be delivered to the audiences as was originally intended. So we took a lot of time and energy to kind of move all these pieces. So we have a solid season. It starts in October, it ends in May, and it's really um, filled with titles that I think are going to interest everybody, whether it is family friendly, whether it is a little bit more thought provoking with the brand's visit or just, you know, sheer fun. Donna Summer, the musical, you want to have a good, you, you want to listen to some classic, um, you know, songs of the, um, you know, 70s, 80s and, you know, tease up your hair. Perfect opportunity to do so. So a little bit of something for everyone, which I think today the audiences need to feel like they are going to get a payoff when they show up to the theater because they're, they're going to also feel as if they're going to be risking a little bit as well, entering a venue with 2000 plus people. Let's take off on that comment. Mm -hmm. You've been planning. You're now looking at the fall. There's that light at the end of the tunnel. It is May. We're talking October. What are some of the things that the palace is doing or thinks they need to do so the audience will feel comfortable returning? 
You know, it's funny, this conversation, had we had it a year ago, would have been completely different. Because what we're seeing right now is that the expectations of social distancing, number one, first and foremost, you know, first and foremost credo that we've been living with for the last 14 months, you know, keep your distance. They're saying by the time we get to fall, because of immunization and vaccination rates, social distancing will not be necessary. A year ago, we were talking about gapping seats. We actually have a, biz, um, a plan in a um, seating model that kills every other row, basically makes them unavailable, and kills um, seats between um, parties of two and four. In the event that that was going to be the business of norm, we would have been able to enact a plan that allowed that not the best financial model by any stretch, um, but we would have been able to do so. Come October, and what we're hearing as of May 20th, social distancing is not going to be required. Mask wearing will, right? So that has been the one constant that we know is going to be addressed within the building. I think people are at the point, although they may not enjoy wearing a mask, I think we're comfortable wearing them. You know, it's it, now it's just become Part of the um, part of the landscape. You go outside. You put a mask on. You enter a venue. You put a mask on to protect yourself and protect others. I don't foresee that as being something that is going to um, restrict people's activity, unless, of course, there's a medical issue and things of that nature. We will address all those as we go on. Interesting thing about kind of the um, the question that you asked is over a year ago. I was on calls with you know a number of different venues, doctors, and um, kind of the professionals saying you need to update your um, your HVAC system to make sure that you're bringing in outside air for better circulation. Good news for the Palace Theater. We went through our restoration, you know, just what? It's going to be 17 years ago. Our HVAC system is state of the art. We bring in outside air. So we didn't have to do a retrofit to our venue. So patrons coming into our venue, like individuals going into an airport, I mean, into an airplane these days, they've recirculated the air. It's a better environment. We've always had that. So that's something where people can feel comfortable with the fact that the air is being circulated, external air is coming in, ex um, internal air is being vetted out to minimize that. So that is behind the scenes. You're never going to notice it, but it's important that people are aware of that. Masks, as I said, will be worn. And I think the idea that the idea that um, we were going to have to sanitize in between every um, every event, you know, every um, every touching of a surface, that seems to be going by the wayside because of the fact that more people are vaccinated and we're transferring less of the germs. So it, it's a whole different conversation today than it was a year ago, fortunately for the patron and fortunately for the venues as well. So right now you're looking at if a show is, and let's say, let's just focus, let's say on the orchestra, because those are the best seats, orchestra, front mezzanine. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at business as usual, pre-pandemic seating and all that. Is, Have you been in conversations with other venues in Connecticut or around the country about, is this what they're looking at also? Or are you sort of an outlier? No, no. We, uh, I'm, I'm on the phone every um, Thursday at one o'clock with the six performing arts centers within the state. So it's our, our misery loves company call at one o'clock. <laughs> so, you know, the Bushnell, the Schubert, Stanford Center, the Guard Arts Center and the Warner Theater in Torrington, we all get on a call. And if anything that has happened over this period of the pandemic, it has actually brought our six venues closer together. We are not competitors. You know, we are competitors in a, in a sense, but we are actually colleagues and we are going to be working together on kind of a, a global communication that comes out from all of us to say our venues are ready. These are the steps that we are all taking. And these are the expectations when you walk into a venue in Stanford, in New London or Hartford or Waterbury. This is what you can expect. 
So we are we will be meeting the industry criteria. We will also be um, matching standards with our colleagues. But the expectation is, as is in New York, that once the doors are open, once we're giving the all clear, social distancing is not going to, it will be hopefully a thing of the past and you will be sitting next to that complete stranger sharing an armrest, hopefully in a confident environment that you have either gotten vaccinated, we've protected you as best we can, and it's safe to go into the theater again. So it's, it's a jump from what we've been to, um, what we've been thinking about for the last year. What do you need to do to appease any concerns from the patron? Because you're saying all this, and again, we're talking months from now, so the world can be changing once again. We don't mm-hmm. know. But let's say we're, we're moving forward. How do you message to that person who is looking to buy a subscription, to buy single tickets that here's what we're doing and it's safe to come in and, and this is why we're not doing what might have been broadcast to everybody five, six months ago, a year ago? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think communication is going to be key. You know, uh, vehicles like this, this podcast, for those who listen, will get a little bit of um, information. We will be hosting a kind of a subscriber Zoom town hall where I'll be taking questions and answers from patrons who are interested in finding out about protocols, what are what their what our expectations are, and what they should expect on entering the building. We will be, you know, of course, there's going to be, cleaning will be on an increase. We will have increased our cleaning capacity between performance times as well as prior to arrival. And then you'll see more activity in the space for people wiping down surfaces while um, activities are taking place in the building. That's going to be first and foremost. And I think people need to see that visually. There are going to be hand sanitizing stations throughout. There's, it's interesting. The trend has kind of shifted. At first, it was like hand sanitizers everywhere. And now you're seeing less and less of them. But we know that there are those individuals who will want to protect themselves. And therefore, we will make them available to the patrons. So you'll see more of that. We will probably keep plexiglass shields up at the bar area, as we have kind of implemented thus far, just to give people that extra sense um, of security. We're going to minimize the distribution of playbills. There's a conversation about playbills going completely digital. So you'll get it on your phone as opposed to getting it by a, a volunteer or an usher and having it touched by eight to 10 people in the process. So little things like that are going to be implemented to make people feel more comfortable, less contact with. We're going to work on po- possibly even pre-ordering beverages or minimizing the type of beverages and or snacks we serve. So there's going to be less contact as well. So those are the type of things um, that they will see that are going to be noticeably different. It may you know, take a little bit longer to get through a bar line. It may take a little bit longer to get a snack, or you may fee- see people not choosing to purchase snacks and or beverages because they don't want that extra kind of layer of contact. So we, it, this is going to be a wait and see, and it's going to develop as we go. But we are following best practices from other venues, and I think the customer w- should feel confident with signage, with communication, that they can enter the building safely. We're going to take a short break. And then we're going to be back with Frank Tavera. Where can you hear the best music from Off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage? The answer, soundsofbroadway.com, your 24-7 online Broadway music radio station. Listen to selections from well-known, popular, and more obscure musicals from the most diverse playlists anywhere. That's soundsofbroadway.com. Let's go on with the show. We're all living through an unusual time together, but each one of us is dealing with it differently. Webster Bank is here to help you move forward. 
at whatever pace is right for you. Whether you're taking small steps or big, bold ones. Whether you're refocusing on your future, re-energizing your business, or reconnecting with everyone you love, Webster will help you take your next steps on your time. We're back with Frank Tavera, the CEO of the Palace Theater in Waterbury, Connecticut. I'm Stuart Brown, your host for this podcast series. When we spoke back in 2020, you had mentioned that you were expanding the season and that it was going to be a combination of shows that were going to be new bookings, but also, in a sense, shows that were backlogged or shows that you might have already booked two years ago. And it just happens that, oh, yeah, we booked A Bronx Tale before the pandemic and it was for this time. So it's great because we already had that slot. So can you give the listeners a bit of information about that? Because I personally find it fascinating about the logistics Mm -hmm. and juggling. Yeah, a perfect example of that would be number one, one of your top 10 American in Paris, right? That was supposed to happen this season. You know, we always talk in season numbers. So that was supposed to happen in the, the 1920 season. So that would have been in that should have happened in January of 20. And the reality was when the pandemic hit last March, you know, everything kind of came to a screeching halt. The fact the American in Paris tour was very likely going to be shuttered, put away and never to be seen again, because it was kind of, I don't want to say the last leg of its tour, it had done its run across the country. And it, and it completed um, the bulk of its um, engagements. So they were going to shutter that tour. But what they found was because and I think we briefly talked about this last time, what they found was that because there was such little new programming being developed during the pandemic, they needed the titles. They need additional titles. So producers went back and said, we need to bring American in Paris out because we know there are markets that have yet to see it and we're considered a market. We know that there's markets that have yet to see the show. We know that there's not enough product in the pipeline because no current new programs are being developed. So they had to fill that void. So they, to their credit, put together an American in Paris tour to satisfy what they would have previously done in 19 um, season of 1920 in order to deliver the programming and probably give a new life and new lease to that show, which otherwise would have gone dormant and we would have seen it in a revival in about five to six years from now. American in Paris would be one. Jersey Boys, we make, you know, we, we make light of it only because I think I've rescheduled that show three times thus far. Every time we've had the show, Jersey Boys has had to be rescheduled. So that is coming back as well. And that was a show that the tour was going to be completed as of last spring. Last spring of 20 was going to be the end of Jersey Boys. They were going to put it on the shelf let it kind of live a quiet life, you know, in, in memory, and then, re- you know, give it its rebirth as they traditionally do in a revival. The Jersey Boy has another two years in the marketplace now because of number one, pent up demand. And all of a sudden an interest from venues saying, you know, they haven't, se- people haven't seen it. They want to see it. And we are unsure of what new programming and new titles are going to be coming out of New York. So we need something in our skill set, in our wheelhouse so that we can deliver programs to our patrons. So those are some of the old that are seeing a rebirth and kind of a new life. And then things such as Waitress. We had it always planned for last season. Now it's just making it's, it's, we're making good on it and bringing it into this season. So a lot of moving parts. As I said on the call last time, I believe what we are doing for the industry is we're giving them time to breathe 
We're giving the producers time to get creative, bring back their staff so that they can put together the new programs that will be gracing our stages in the 22 and 23 seasons. So they need this time of kind of, hey, let's not worry about new programming out the door right now because we need to develop it for New York first and then the road. Are the producers of these shows now casting, rehearsing, getting everything set for that anticipated continuation of the tour? So what's happening now is that the active conversations are taking place, right? Because, you know, it, it's funny from, you know, we, it, it trickles down from me, it goes from venue to booking agent. So the booking agents have been like, hey, you have not sent in your contract yet. I'm like, well, cause I don't trust you're gonna have a show to put on, but they're pushing because now from the producing end of it, the producers are saying, what are our commitments for next year? What is the financial um, ramifications of putting on our show? How many markets do we have? How many guarantees will we be paying? etc. So they can actually know financing is in place for their production. With that comfort level, with that um, confidence that there are enough markets to bear the title, now they can go out and get the creative team back together and they can start recasting. And it's funny because you look at some of the casts that would have been in our 1920 season, that cast may look completely different in 21-22. People may have gotten other jobs. People may have chosen to pick up other projects. So they have to recreate much of what they had on the shelf. And so you you may see a different face. You may see a, you know, a, a different creative outlet as well because it's a new time, it's a new day, and it is not just a continuation of what was, it is the kind of retooling of a show. So all that's happening in earnest as we speak, so that by the time we get to an August timeline, everything has been cemented in place, they can take their four to six weeks of rehearsal time and hit the road come late fall. Unfortunately, as we all know, the theater profession has been probably one of the hardest hit everything and not just the actors, but people that do lighting, sets, costumes, everything was just shut down. So all these people have either been, seems like everybody has their own podcast nowadays, <laughs> but they've been trying to find other employment because they're out of work. So like you said, a person could have been the star of, let's say summer, but they've taken another job mm -hmm. and they don't want to necessarily shed that job to go back in. So it might be like, like you were saying, a total reworking where here was our plan and now we have to pivot and totally change everything. We've been dealing with uncertainty since March 12th of 2020. We've had to retool, repivot, and kind of refocus our energy. But so from the creative side of them, you know, I think this could be really interesting for the industry as well, because what you're going to see is that there are a lot of graduates, right, who've got, well, gotten out of schooling and we're going to get their first time, first gig, but maybe didn't have the opportunity two years ago because everybody was always already cast in roles. This might create a whole new field of employment for people who might be a little bit more hungry, a little bit more um, um, flexible because now they're just anxious to get their start. This could be, you know, could have created kind of a nice influx of, you know, a new commodity and a resource of actors, performers, and stage folk who have otherwise not been able to hone their craft. And some of the older ones who've been doing it forever, they're like, oh my God, I got to get out because <laughs> I've been doing this forever. So it will be interesting to see how it really does shift a lot of the folks who are in behind the scenes and on the stage and, what, and what's new post-pandemic, because this does give an opportunity for those who otherwise may not have had one two years ago. Because of tours, and we talk about national tours, and I, I remember last time something you said has, has really resonated that 
when you do a tour, it's not the New England tour. It's not the tri-state tour. It is the national tour. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming that because you have a program and all these other presenting houses have their programs is that producers are feeling comfortable that they can do the national tour, that mm -hmm. maybe they're hot spots, but maybe they're just saying, well, by the time we start in the fall, those hot spots shouldn't be hot anymore. So we mm -hmm. feel comfortable and the presenting houses like yourself feel comfortable. I use a term, we, you know, we're part of the larger ecosystem of touring. We are just one of the many markets across the country that venues and performances can take place in. But you're absolutely right. The I do not envy the job of the um, agent, right? So the producer is one thing. Producer is going to mount the show, get the creative team together, build the product. And that's nice because that happens... I don't want to say in a vacuum, but like usually in one location, you could be, you could be workshopping something in LA, in New York, Chicago, wherever, but everything kind of remains there. You build your show and you're like, this is going to be our finished product. The agent is the one who really has to look at the map of the United States and figure out where logistically the tour can go with what they call convenient jumps, right? So they don't want to be traveling too far. They have to make it from one city to the next within an eight to 12 hour period of time. And, and that has been a challenge for them because of the fact that everyone is vying for product. Everyone has uncertainty as to when they're going to either reopen or reopen comfortably. And every state um, is also responding a little bit different. You know, we're, we just got clearance here to reopen at full capacity. Texas has been, you know, at full capacity for months. Florida hasn't never had a capacity issue, but you can't just play Florida. You can't just play Texas to your earlier point. So the job of the agent to figure out what's open, what's open at 100%, what state will welcome me in the building without any kind of restrictions, capacity limitations, et cetera, they have to look at all those pieces before they map out a tour and then say, okay, we're solid. And only at that point, when they have the tour in place and they can verify that Connecticut is good to go, will the producers sit down and say, okay, let's pull the trigger. We, we got the product, now let's make it happen. So a lot of moving pieces um, go into this and it's not just open the doors on May 20th and the shows are gonna be flooding in. That's not sadly how that works. Looking back at the past year and a half and forecasting into the future, are there things that you have learned about putting together a program or dealing with a crisis that you can now incorporate into your business model moving forward? Yeah, I would say the most important thing that we have learned, and again, very myopically, is the fact that it is our responsibility to continuously communicate with our customers. You know, it's funny because we, we are so deep into this sometimes. We sit down and say, hey, American in Paris is coming. And we just assume that everybody knows what American in Paris is. We, they've either seen the movie historically, they've either heard the, um, some of the music or have seen the play. But what we found is that there are people who really do need, and uh, to their credit, they need us to explain further because we presume a lot. And so number one, I think the uh, the ability to communicate with our customers and let them know truly what is going on, the impact of this pandemic and what it's had on our industry, I think has really informed a lot of people who've had other expectations for us. So they, you know, they thought our jobs, not to say it's difficult, they would be easy, just pick a title, book a show, life goes on. There are too many moving pieces and we've, I think, done a nice job in kind of explaining that to them. So communication to our patrons in all forms why we make the decisions we do, when we make the decisions we do, and how it impacts them, I think that is going to be something that you're going to continue to see from us because patrons are expecting that now, and they need to be kind of brought along. 
from the industry industry side, what I did notice is the fact that you know we are considered uh, you know a second tier market. With you know we're not a Chicago, we're not a Boston, we're not an LA. But I did not realize really until I got on the phone with the agents how important the second tier markets are because there's only so many Chicago's, right? There's only so many Boston's, but there's a ton of Waterberries across this country, and we are such an important part of the ecosystem. I use that term again in the viability of those tours where at first, my, oh, it's a big show. It's going to play Dallas. Yeah, okay. It can't only play Dallas. It has to play Waterbury. It has to play Trenton. It has to play Sheboygan, wherever those um, venues are. So what I did come to learn is that we hold a valuable place. We may, may not be the largest part of the ecosystem in number of weeks or dates that we take, but volume of across the country, what we represent to those tours is vital. And to that, that changed the dynamic in our conversations with the agents, because now you have a little bit more to broker, right? They need you. I thought, I think I realized they need us more than we, I, I realized at first. So now I could sit back and say, eh, don't really feel comfortable with this date. Don't really love the deal terms. If you want to play Waterbury, if you need us in the marketplace, now you know we're gonna have to give and take a little bit, as opposed to just taking what they gave us. So I think we've all learned to probably cooperate more so because we realize that we are hand in hand that we need to get this thing done together. So it was interesting when you look at some of the practices that have been going on again for the last year and a half, and and moving forward in the virtual world. Can you foresee anything that you might want to retain or that you think might change the way theater productions are presented or even not just theater productions, but the way that the virtual world is becomes more part of the Waterbury Palace? Something like the Broadway buzz, where Mm -hmm. that sort of developed out of the shutdown and and let's continue that communication, like you were saying. So are there Mm -hmm. other things that you're looking at from that virtual world that you're saying, you know what, this was a good thing. Let's keep it going. Absolutely. I sit on the fence on this to a degree, because number one, as you just mentioned, as I said earlier, communication, we are going to use this new digital tool that we have gotten people accustomed to using a Zoom call, you know, a WebEx, whatever the case may be, a podcast. We're going to use these vehicles more so than we ever have because, oddly enough, people do want the face-to-face. This, you know, we may not be sitting in the same room, Stu, but I feel completely connected to you as if we're in a, in a meeting, um, you know, in, in the same conference space. We've done this all throughout. We've done our town halls. We've done our kind of um, holiday messaging, and we've delivered messages in this capacity. I think people are still going to expect to see, oh, there's Frank and Frank's going to talk to us, whether it's relevant, whether they want to hear it, but this will be the new communication form. So number one, digitally, I think we're going to capitalize on this as a communication vehicle to get our messaging out. Number two, the other thing I really see us doing as well is providing more digital content in advance to our patrons. Hey, you don't know what American in Paris is. Here's a deliverable. Here is a you know, the five minute um, show blurb, here's going to be an attachment for you to, you know, find, download and watch, give yourself a little education, pre-education before you see a show is just to presume you're going to like it when you arrive. So we're going to use that as the other vehicle because people are trained to go online and watch a video and to pick up a Zoom call. So we're going to offer that on a more frequent basis because I think that will bring people along further. If the more you're prepared for whatever that event is in the theater, the better you're going to receive it 
if, if you choose to come. It may also just um, dissuade you from attending, but at least you made the wise decision. What I caution this whole thing on is the idea of let's do live Broadway, but let's do a simulcast because you couldn't come to the theater and you want to see a Bronx tale. That isn't going to happen. That can't happen. That is not the way the model works. That's not the way live entertainment was meant to be seen. And I do not want to get into the habit of allowing people the ability to sit home and watch and relax. This isn't, you aren't going to binge watch American in Paris. You can't. You got to come when it's time, but we'll give you all the tools. We'll give you all the information in advance. We'll bring you up to speed as much. But when it comes to experiencing live theater, digital will never, should never, at least my livelihood as well, um, should ever replace it. So that's where I kind of draw the line on that. Everyone I've spoken to, that is number one, that communal experience that you cannot have in your living room. Mm -hmm. You can't laugh with everybody. You can't cry with everybody. You can't have that drama that is so tension filled, you can hear a pin drop. You can't mm -hmm. do that no. at home streaming. So, but I do like what you're talking about is really sort of using the virtual as a supplement mm -hmm. because before this, I'm sure most patrons never met with you, never saw you. But now, like you said, you could throw out their town hall meeting this day and time. They can have that interaction, mm -hmm. which could give them not that communal experience, but that closer experience with this big entity called the Palace Theater. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Think about how many people you have been on a Zoom call over the last year who you've never met before or never have seen before, but you're in a meeting and you're one of the, you know, Brady Bunch squares on the screen over there. And all, whether after one meeting or two meetings, like, I know him, I, you know, I, I feel as if I ran into the, uh, him on the street, I'd be able to sit down and have a conversation or be like, hey, we're buds, whatever the case may be. Different from a phone call, right? Different from being on the phone without having to see the face, et cetera. So it has kind of made this weird connection with people. It's really opened up the opportunity for people to connect in yet a different way and build, it build a relationship, although virtual. I mean, we can't go through life this way, but I think we will end up seeing that this is going to be part of the new format of the way that you know people do communicate. And if it's a monthly town hall for a Q&A with Frank, or it's a, hey, we're rolling out American in Paris on sale. Here's three of the best songs that you, you want to see. And here's a five minute snippet of it. And we're talking about it just to bring people up to speed, a pre-talk or a post-talk. I think people would engage in that level because there's, we're still making a connection. And, but the deliverable always has to be butt in seat in the theater, eight o'clock show starts, enjoy the show. That's my theory. Unwrap your candy. Exactly. And cough before you arrive. So, Frank, thanks for spending time in this episode. But alas, we are at our conclusion. So we didn't really talk about the show. So we'll have to have you on the next episode and we'll just talk about the shows. I'll make myself available for you. Make yourself <laughs> available on that Zoom call. So, Frank, thank you. You've been listening to the Palace Theater's Broadway Buzz presented by Webster Bank. The Palace Theater is located in Waterbury, Connecticut. My name is Stuart Brown, founder of the 24-7 online Broadway radio station, soundsofbroadway.com. If you are looking for nonstop Broadway music, tune into soundsofbroadway.com, playing the best from off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage. Thank you for listening. I hope you will join me on our next podcast episode. Until then, stay safe, be well, and be informed with the Broadway buzz. Entertaining new possibilities. The Palace Theater, your palace, your place.